Hey, just wanted to mention a quick content warning ahead of time here. In case you're unaware, It's a Wonderful Life. The main plot point revolves around the main character contemplating suicide. Uh, So we discuss suicide throughout the episode here and there. A couple times we get into a little bit of like more in-depth discussions of depression and stuff like that. So just a heads up if that's something you don't feel comfortable listening to right now. Might want to skip this episode. Otherwise, hope you enjoy. This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers because this film is lit. Remember, George, no man is a failure who has friends. It's a wonderful life, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film Is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. I don't know how we've gone five years, however many years <laughs> we've been doing this and haven't done It's a Wonderful Life yet, but... This is one that I think a lot of people don't realize is based on a book. That's fair. I didn't for a long time. I had no idea either. No. But yeah, uh, It's a Wonderful... It also makes the intro difficult because I normally say it's blank, yeah. but when it's the movie is it's, I don't know if I should say it's It's a Wonderful Life or It's a Wonderful... I feel like technically I should say it's it's a wonderful life. Yeah. But it sounds I don't like that. It sounds bad. So I just skipped. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we have most of our segments, including a very short guess who. Uh, so we're going to jump right into it. If you have not watched It's a Wonderful Life recently or, or read the short story it's based on, here is a brief synopsis of both. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Okay, this is my synopsis of uh, The Greatest Gift by Philip Van Doren Stern. Still a hell of a name. On Christmas Eve, banker and family man George Pratt is standing on a bridge contemplating suicide when he's interrupted by a little man carrying a traveling salesman case saying very odd things. When George wishes that he had never been born, the man says his wish has been granted and vanishes. At first, George doesn't believe him, but then he makes his way into town, where things keep happening that he can't explain. The bank that he works at is shuttered and listed as for sale, his parents don't recognize him at all, and his wife is married to someone else. Devastated, George returns to the bridge, where the little man lectures him about denying the greatest gift, and then restores his life back to him. George runs gleefully through town, rejoicing and wishing everyone a Merry Christmas. The end. All right. And here is the a brief synopsis on It's a Wonderful Life, sourced uh, a lot of it from Wikipedia, but also my own stuff. So on Christmas Eve, 1945, George Bailey contemplates suicide. The prayers of his family reach heaven where the guardian angel Clarence Oddbody is assigned to save George and earn his wings. The greater angels then give Cl- Clarence a primer by showing him flashbacks of George's life. 
to catch him up on George's situation. He sees a young George save his brother from drowning in an iced-over pond, but lose his hearing and his left ear in the process. He sees him stop the pharmacist whom he worked for from accidentally poisoning a customer. Jumping forward, he watches George plan to leave Bedford Falls and head to college and greater adventure before George is forced to stay in town and run his late father's building and loan business. He falls in love with and weds Mary. George is unable due to his hearing issues, but his younger brother Harry serves in World War II and becomes a war hero, earning the Medal of Honor. In the lead-up to Christmas 1945, George's uncle Billy, who also works in the building and loan, misplaces $8,000 of the company's money, which was discovered by miserly Mr. Potter, who's been attempting to put the building and loan out of business for years, and thus so he didn't tell them that he found the money. And George realizes that he will soon go to jail, uh, on fraud embezzlement charges and the company will go bankrupt and everything is falling apart after begging potter for a loan potter tells him he's worth more dead than alive because of his uh life insurance policy and george heads to the bridge to end his life and allow his family to cash in said life insurance now we're at the part of the film that people actually remember before he can jump clarence jumps in first and george dives in to save him Afterwards, George wishes he had never been born, and Clarence grants this wish, showing him a much different and darker, according to the movie's world, where George never existed. Realizing his mistake and his desire for life, George begs God for another chance, and it is granted. He rushes home to his family and is greeted by the entire town showing up to lend him his misplaced, uh, the misplaced $8,000. George's company is saved, his appreciation for life is restored, and Clarence gets his wings. The end. That is a brief summary of... It's a wonderful life. Katie, we have exactly one guess who, so mm -hmm. let's do it. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. He was stout, well past middle age, and his round cheeks were pink in the winter air as though they had just been shaved. He wore a moth-eaten old fur cap and a shabby overcoat that was stretched tightly over his paunchy belly. Okay, I feel like there's only one character I think this could be, and that would be Clarence. Yeah, <laughs> the it angel is Clarence, yes. or whatever, whatever yeah, that character, the, if it has the, a name, the Clarence uh, parallel character. Yes, does it, does it, it have a name in the? No. Okay, we'll get to it obviously right now. But I nailed it. Yeah, that was. I figured it was probably like the main one. I thought there might be some other, but obviously I assumed that probably wasn't George. Uh, or our main character. So I was like, okay, that's probably probably got to be Clarence. And it, it does actually fit the description or yeah. what we see in the film yeah. pretty closely. Not too far off. Not too far. All right. Time to find out if all these things I have questions about were in the book. Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? So our story, as I laid out in the synopsis, uh, kind of initially, is that uh, George, the prayers are heard in heaven of George's family praying for him. And so the, heaven decides to send an angel down to, to take care of him. But they send a lesser angel, se uh, angel second class, which is George, who doesn't have his wings yet. And I wanted to know if that's a similar premise from the book, if the angel or whatever that comes to save George is trying to earn their wings or something like that. <laughs> so Clarence does have a parallel character in the book. Um, you heard his description yes. a moment ago. Um, some kind of mystical being that shows up and grants George's wish to have never been born. But it's never explicitly stated that he's an angel or a guardian angel. Um, nothing about wings. 
So okay, so then that kind of answers my next question, which was that whether or not because I forgot that in the film we fly up into outer space, yeah, and watch uh, galaxies and nebulas chat with each other as as represent uh, physical representations of like celestial beings, which is a wild, wild uh, scene that I completely forgot about, and I wanted to know if any of that. Like maybe the the book opens on uh, in space and we're watching celestial bodies like have a conversation about George or something. I wanted to know if any of that came from the book or if Frank Capra or who you know whoever wrote this just kind of like <laughs> winged or you know came up with that one on their own. Uh, so there is no like elaborate celestial backstory in the book. We meet the Clarence character but yeah. we we don't know who he is or where he comes from or or anything, if, if really. he works He's alone the, mysteri- or, the, the mysterious yes, stranger the mysterious stranger is indeed what he is i had this change under better in the movie and you know neither of us are like particularly into religion in stories um no. i think that's safe to say it's pretty safe to say but the sequence of like space and the little blinking talking stars, I think, is so interesting. It is a yeah. And the movie is not like like there's religion in it. It's about as secular as a movie about an yeah. angel getting its wings could possibly be. Yeah. <laughs> and and the thing that the thing that I like about this movie too is that it, it there is religion in it, but it's not a religious no message. it's not the point yeah really it's like it's like at the end of it the message is that he was a good man because he treated other people well yeah and like humans not oh he was a good christian and yeah. therefore he was and a that, good man and that your life is worthwhile and worth living and and even when things seem you know dark and terrible that they're um that that life is still worthwhile, and and there, that's obviously a very complicated, nuanced discussion that we're not going to get into the whole depths of that. But like as a broad message, mm-hmm. that idea of like uh, hope and um and and not giving in to despair or whatever is like broadly again a good message mm-hmm. and like an agreeable message. And you're right, it doesn't. It has a very secular message, despite being. Like a despite where, having elements of religion, yeah, where, in where it. an angel shows up and saves a man's life, and he begs God for another chance, it, none of it feels like. Again, it's 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 sort of those are all like elements of the point of the story, but they're not the overall. They're not the main thrust of the of what this movie is trying to say, which is like, yeah, it, it, the movie is not remotely trying to say like believe in God, trust in God, believe in angels, trust it. Like none of that is the point of this movie. It's just what is happening. Mm-hmm. It's like some the framework of of how this story moves, but the whole point of the story, like you said, is very grounded in uh, earthly humanity and yeah. how people treat other people and how um and how our one life that we have is is a thing worth you know cherishing or or you know that kind of thing. So yeah, I I, I would agree completely that it's I was uh, pleasantly surprised from not remembering anything about this movie other than a few lines and the over like how it like the, the last 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in my head, this was a much more religious movie than it is. And it's not like at all. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, it was really interesting. Uh, so as we flash back uh, and they're showing Clarence George's life, which is the vast majority of this movie is basically a flashback. I, that was an, this movie is like 90% yeah. flashback basically. Like the whole first hour and 40 minutes of it. And then the very end is like a current time Christmas. Now let's do this. Um, but the uh, we get this flashback to George as a kid. 
and there's this one he's he's he works in the pharmacy shop and he's talking to mary a young mary who's in there and and violet i believe is also there and but he's talking to mary and he's talking about how he wants to go on adventures he's like i'm gonna get out of this town i'm gonna go on adventures and i'm gonna have harems lots of harems and multiple so many wives or something and i was like what is happening and I wanted to know if that came from the book because I was I was not prepared for this little like eight year old to be talking about all the harems he was gonna have. I was like, "What is going on?" So I think I missed that line. I must have been writing a note when yeah. he said that because I don't remember that. Um, so in the book, uh, adult George does like allude to his life being kind of like a boring dead end. So I guess you could say that perhaps at one time he longed for adventure. <laughs> okay. But there's not like a, there's not a point made of it. And we um there's nothing about harems. Okay. <laughs> so I my guess what the movie is going for here is one it's it's it, the idea is that it's kind of silly like hearing a little kid talk about this yeah. thing that I he maybe doesn't even really yeah, understand. Yeah, probably doesn't understand. But like probably read in a he probably reads, you know, read a book or was listening to a radio show or yeah, something. Yeah, he where probably was, read like Arabian Nights yes, or something. Yeah, and, something where harems were mentioned and having why you know multiple wives was mentioned or something like that or and and he just kind of like repeated it, but it was like what is okay. <laughs> Great. So like I said he works at the pharmacist and uh, while he's there, he his the the guy who owns it, Mister, I can't remember his name. This old man who's the who is the pharmacist. Uh, he got a telegram earlier the day that his his adult son or his son, I assume adult son, mm-hmm. because this guy's like in his seventies or something, uh, died of the flu. Yeah, and uh, so he's like completely broken up and distraught over this, and he's trying to fill a prescription, and he accidentally fills it with poison, and George. Uh, notices and is able to stop doesn't deliver the drugs like the guy tells him to so he doesn't he keeps the and then later tells him like i think you put poison in these after (laughs) after the pharmacist beats him up for like a minute or two uh for talking back to him or whatever the the labor laws were just wild back (laughs) in the day just one is like an eight-year-old working at a pharmacy but two you just beat him if you want it was like oh boy box his ears yeah but uh, I wanted to know if any of that with the saving the people from being poisoned from the pharmacy, from the from the distraught <laughs> pharmacist came from the book. None of that is in the book. Um, it is better in the movie. I love this whole plot point. It's so dramatic. I love it. Um, I also love how there's a big glass jar just labeled poison. <laughs> So I think what that, yeah, because I also laughed at that. I think it's the back of the jar says poison and the front has like an actual label. It's yeah. still very it's, funny, it's, though. It's just like in huge yeah. letters. It just says poison. poison. And, and then my favorite thing is after he tells the pharmacist, the pharmacist figures out if this is true or not by tasting said. Yeah. He like kicks and licks it and is like, oh, that is poison. And now I get the idea of like it's not consuming enough for it to matter. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> This is very funny to me. He's like, mm, let's find out if this is a deadly poison or not. I'll just put a little on my tongue. Great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so we jump forward then quite a bit into his uh, col- college years, post high school, college, or, you know, pre college years in that time frame uh, in George's life. And his his younger brother, Harry, is graduating from high school and they're having a big party, like a graduation party dance thing. And they go to this big dance and George shows up as well because um, he's in town or whatever. And uh, there, there, it takes place in this gymnasium. And we talked about this in a prequel, but it's a very famous 
um, it's been in several movies and it's still apparently functioning and works at like the um, Beverly Hills High School or whatever it mm -hmm. is, um, which is they have a giant gym floor over the top of a swimming pool that is like mechanically operated and can open up. Uh, and in this scene, they're dancing. He's dancing with Mary and Sam who is her, another boy who likes her is jealous that they're dancing together. And so he opens the floor to like humiliate them and they fall in, but then it turn Everybody's like, Oh, that looks like so much fun. And everybody jumps in. It's this big thing. And I want to know if any of that came from the book. None of that is from the book. <laughs> um, again, I'm calling this one better in the movies. Great scene. Okay. Um, I do the moment where they're dancing back and forth without well, like oblivious and everybody else. Yeah. Cause it's so loud and they can't hear everybody screaming. And he's like, we must be doing great or whatever. It's, it's fun. It's a fun scene. It's a fun scene. I really, I like like the all the old men that I guess are like the the chaperones some, the teachers yeah. or whatever. Are like, what do we do? And then one of them's like, who cares? And dives in. <laughs> Just jumps in. He's like, ah, screw it. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Uh, yeah, it's it's a fun scene. It is is absolutely a fun little scene. That again, it's like I will get. To, I have so many notes about this. Like I, so much of this movie, I I only remember the final twenty minutes of this movie. Yeah, I don't. You gun to my head. I never would have been able to tell you any of this other stuff happens. <laughs> that this movie is basically just like a a biopic of George Bailey <laughs> until the very end of the movie. So then we move forward even a little bit more. Uh, and this, I believe, is right after, not I believe, this is right after uh, George's dad passes away, uh, who who owned and ran the the building and loan in town, which was a company who, like, owned or, or, like, a lot of the mortgages and stuff for a lot of the people who owned or rented houses in town or something like that. Basically, yeah. they loaned money or or helped, again. Like, like, they helped people build housing. Yes, but I think essentially, that it, I don't know what a building and loan exactly is, but it sounded to me like, yeah, and... They were very forgiving with like people paying them back. They were very like lax about yeah if people were late on payments and blah blah blah. They weren't you know very ruthless about it or whatever. Um and they and they built good properties and whatever. Again, it's, it's a complicated thing. But uh, during after his father passes away, this is when Mister Potter, who's the uh, the 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 you know the rich miserly old man who owns the entire town basically, other than all the stuff that the building alone like mm -hmm. owns essentially. And he's trying to come in and shut down the building alone so that he can basically r completely run the town. And during this board meeting, he's trying to dissolve the, the company or whatever. And George gets up and has this big speech to him. And it's just a great speech. But uh, in particular, this line stuck out to me towards the end of it. Um, and I want to know if any of this came from the book. He says specifically these lines, but any of this aspect of like mm -hmm. the of, of the story he says, just remember this, Mr. Potter. That this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him. But to you, a warped, frustrated old man to their cattle. Well, in my book, my father died a much richer man than you'll ever be. It's great. And it keeps going. And he just he goes off on this guy about being a, a shitty old capitalist. And I wanted to know, like I said, if any of that comes from the book. It does not. Uh, I regret to say that the book is far less based yeah. than the movie. Well, and it's funny. We did talk about in the in the prequel about how the FBI was like came out and was like, this movie's communist propaganda. And it's like, not really. But, but. I can see what you're saying that this movie. And it is so funny that the, I, you know, if you I bet if you went and pulled a billion you know, if you went and pulled uh, all of the the most right wing conservative 
like boomers in this country about like what their favorite Christmas movie was. Mm-hmm. God, so many of them. It has to be. It's a wonderful life. Right? Oh, yeah. Like it has to be. Maybe a few will say like Miracle on 34th Street, but so many of them are going to say it's a wonderful life. And this whole movie's whole premise is similar to um, Christmas Carol. But mm-hmm. this is whole premise of the whole point of this movie is like, don't be <laughs> don't be a capitalist pig. All right. Like that's all it's like, hey, respect people. Uh, uh, laborers unite like this is yeah. all like working class unite. Uh, eat the rich. It's like, how is how do you watch these movies? And all the politics you hold, I don't understand it. It's wild. It's so wild. Uh, and like I said, this movie spends just an absurdly long time setting up George's backstory. And I wanted to know if the book did any of this. I, this would have basically undercut all of my other questions if I was mm-hmm. like, hey, any of the stuff where we see George's whole life before he uh, attempts suicide, is that in the book? It would have just cut, undercut everything. So I didn't ask it that way. But now I'm kind of asking if any of that stuff comes from the book. So the the book is not structured similarly to the movie the the book is basically just the part where he's never been born and is running around freaking out okay um and we we do so learn the last 15 minutes yes we do learn a little bit about his backstory during that portion like just enough to understand what's been changed oh, okay by him not being born but yeah. it's there yeah it's a, a, a different setup right it's not a different setup it's just well i guess it depends on what you mean by setup it's the same. It's literally just yeah. They, we just don't get all of the backstory or yeah. as in depth of the backstory. Um, but I mean, because the setup is essentially identical. It's the execution of oh whatever. I guess <laughs> mincing hairs at that point. Uh, there's a, a scene later after he. So eventually he falls. He meets back up with Mary as adults, and they they have a very brief courtship, and then um, they get married. And they're getting ready to go on their honeymoon. And there's this great scene where they're leaving. Uh, and then there's a run on the bank, which for most uh, go Google. I'm not explaining what a run on the bank is. <laughs> it's, comp- it's basically the idea is it's like uh, it's basically, I think, kind of what happened to uh, FTX. <laughs> the the guy who just got a bankman freed or whatever, or the crypto guy who just got arrested. I think it's essentially a similar idea where like a run of the bank is like everybody comes wants all their money back. Yeah, but the you, money's not there. Yeah, cause that's not how banks work. Well, in this in this sense, in the run on the bank sense, I actually think it is like I, I think it is the fact that the money is kind of somewhat there, kind of. And that's what the run, why there can be a run on the bank. You literally can't have a run on the bank anymore because of how banks operate, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think back in the day, it was at least. The reason it happened was because you could go get everybody could go get their money to some extent. Not everybody. It's complicated. But anyways, I don't I'm not a a financial person. Anyways, (laughs) go look up what a run on the bank is. But there's a run on the bank. Basically, everybody shows up and wants their money back. And then somehow this trickles into George. I, I don't. I was a little. I, again, I don't understand finance, or economic yeah, stuff well, enough to I understand think, why this then impacts George's issue or George's. I think company. okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna speak <laughs> out of my butt because I'm not a financial person either. Um. So I I think what he basically has going on with his business is kind of like a credit union. Yeah, that does seem more like more than what like it, a bank. It does seem like, like it, kind of what's yeah. Going on. It seems like people bring their money there and he like helps them with mortgages and stuff like that. So everybody's kind of putting their money into one pot. And so he literally doesn't have the money. 
Yes. Because he's not a bang. Right. Um, so I, I think what is supposed to have happened here is that there's a run on the bank in town and everybody's panicking. So other people and the, run- so other people panic, so they all go, Well, I'm gonna go get him. my money yeah. too. Yeah. I, I assume that is what's going on here. It's just, yeah. So anyway, so it would yeah, again. It's a thing that happened back in the day um, that doesn't really it, it happens differently now. <laughs> Again, I'm pretty sure that's basically what happened to FTX, I think, essentially, uh, and why that went tits up. But so they, but they're like, oh, well, uh, people are like, hey, we need our money. We need our money. And he's like, well, I get you your money, you know, in 60 days. We'll we'll dole out the money. But then they're like, we need money now, blah, blah, blah. And um, and I guess part of the idea is that they can't get the money out of the bank so that they they need money from him because their mm-hmm. money from the bank is gone. I don't again. I don't know. Um, but they basically end up using all of their money from that. They were going to spend on their honeymoon. They had like two thousand dollars saved up for their honeymoon. And uh, instead of using it on a honeymoon, they pay it all out <clears throat> to all the people that were there yeah. to help them cover their expenses for the coming weeks. And then they get. Uh, as he's leaving, he, they're all very excited that they, they were able to do it. They, they paid everybody out what they needed and still have like $2 left. Uh, but then his, his cab driver takes him home that night. Cause he's like, Oh shoot, where's Mary? I'm supposed to be going on my honeymoon. Uh, and they, he arrives at, at the house. The, the cab driver takes him to this house that they looked at earlier, which is his old ranshackle rundown house, um, that Mary was like in love with and wanted. Uh, and there's a sign on the door that says bridal suite or whatever, or honeymoon suite and he goes in and mary has like created a little like made dinner and has like chickens roasting mm. by the fire and there's like a a, a honeymoon suite bedroom a, a love and, nest yeah. if you will it's very sweet and they're put up like posters of like foreign places yeah, on the windows or whatever and i wanted to know if any of that scene any element of that came from the book because i was like you got yourself a real one there with mary she's a she's a <laughs> winner good job george none of that is from the book George works at a bank. Uh, there's nothing about the building alone. Um, there's no run on the bank. Uh, it is mentioned that Mary's parents bought them a house. But, but nothing know. else about the house. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So none of that comes from the book. Yeah. Also, like I said, I, I forgot how much of this movie is just George's life. But not only that, like none of the pr- the like first hour 40 of this movie has anything to do with Christmas. Like none of it takes place during Christmas or around Christmas. So much of this movie just is aggressively not a Christmas movie in mm-hmm. any way whatsoever, except for, again, the final 20 minutes. Uh, and I wanted to know if the book was similar in any capacity. Um, I, I, again, the book is only the part where he hasn't been born so uh, which there's, does take place on yeah christmas. there's not okay. there's not a huge chunk of non-christmas backstory right the part of the book that is in the movie the book that the part of the movie that is from the book in the book it similarly takes place on christmas eve okay but it's also not like i don't know like he wishes people a merry christmas <laughs> but Christmas isn't like a plot element. It's not a plot element, I guess. Yeah. Okay, yeah, and I, it's not really in the book, other than or in the film. Again, other than like the, everybody coming together at the yeah. end in sort of like the giving spirit of the holiday, I guess, kind of. Yeah. But I, I you could see this taking place literally any time. 
like I, I, this story could like the final part of the story could take place. Yeah, like theoretically it could. Anytime. It doesn't really matter at all. The only thing that kind of matters is we have a Christmas tree with a bell on it that can ring. Right. Well, and it, I mean, <laughs> for, it, for it, and it ties into themes like Christmassy right. themes like goodwill and compassion and yes. generosity. Yeah. But but I think. The people all come together. I guess what I'm saying is that the people all come together to to support George and give him money and stuff, not because it's Christmas and like in the Christmas spirit. It ties into that idea. But the reason they do it is because he's a good guy who has always helped them out. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. So like it could happen when, you know what I mean? Like it's not pivotal that it happens at Christmas because, again, the people, I think if this was the middle of like August or whatever, if they found out George Bailey needed help, they would all still show up and give him, you know what I mean? So I guess that that's kind of what I'm saying is that it doesn't actually really matter that it's Christmas. No, it doesn't. Which is I thought was interesting. But yes, you're right. That the the themes do tie into kind of general broader Christmas themes that we tend to see in in media. So we get this line. For, this is, I just had to ask if this came from the book because I didn't know. I've never heard this, and I had to look it up. Uh, he's talking to George, or George is talking to Mister Potter at one point, and Mister Potter says to him, "Don't you ever get tired of playing nursemaid to a bunch of garlic eaters?" And I was like, "What in the world does that mean?" <laughs> And then I was like, wait a second. Was that like a slam on Italian people? Is that like a derogatory term for Italian people? And I looked it up and it absolutely is. It was an early 20th century slur. Not really. I don't know. A term uh, kind of slur for Europe. It said generally European people, but specifically Italian people. Yeah. Uh, garlic eaters. And I was like, oh, OK, that's weird. It's a little weird. It's real weird. Um, it's not from the book. It's kind of an interesting historical tidbit yeah i mean and, and italian people had italian immigrants had their turn at being the uh Every, undesirable yeah. yes group, ab- absolutely so. it's just very funny to me as insults i mean I, I get it insults are always very stupid and stuff like that but like it's just like garlic is delicious <laughs> like why would you make that your thing everybody eats garlic because it's great it's delicious we talking about so I wanted to know if the the thing that kicks off the chain of events that leads to George's um, uh, potential or contemplation of of ending his life uh, is kicked off by his uncle Billy just being an absolute idiot and losing eight thousand uh, dollars because he blows it in the movie. I just and the whole idea with his characters, he's kind of like. He's a lovable. He's a lovable uh, goof, like yeah. a lovable idiot or whatever. But man, he just he's holding a, an envelope full of eight thousand dollars and then just stuffs it into a newspaper without realizing. <laughs> it's like, come on, man, come on. It's not even like a, a a reasonable like. Oh, I could see how you'd make that mistake necessarily. It's like you're oh, just like, an idiot. I, if I had an envelope with eight thousand dollars in cash in it, I would feel like I yeah, was right? carrying a bomb. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it's just. And again, I get the idea is he makes this deposit pretty regularly. It's like, yeah. you know, it's a routine thing. And he goes and deposits a big chunk of change every, you know, month or whatever. But it's still it's just very like, what is happening? Uh, and I wanted to know if that is what uh, leads to the potential collapse that is causing George's life to spin out of control. No, that's, okay. that's not from the book. Do we know what is the thing that? Um, yeah, I have I have more notes on it. Okay, later, oh, that's fine. We can get to it but, later. Then. Yeah. Okay. I also wanted to know he then after he realizes that everything's going uh very poorly and he needs money quickly or else he's because again the reason this happens in the movie is that uh a a um 
like a uh, what is the the term? A like guy a bank sh- examiner. A bank examiner shows up to like look through the books. Yeah, and he realizes that he's gonna be like, "Wow, we're eight thousand dollars short." That's he's gonna think we're like embezzling money or yeah. whatever. Um, and so he goes to Mr. Potter to try to get a loan because he knows Mr. Potter's like the only guy in town who could, you know. Yeah, he's he's the only one who's good for it. Yeah, who would have eight thousand dollars to loan him? So he goes to beg him for this loan. And Mr. Potter obviously has been, he knows about the money missing and all this has been his plan to force them out of business all along. So he's, he's not into it, but he does tell him at one point that he's worth more dead than alive because of his insurance policy. And this kind of triggers in George's mind, like, oh, you're right. And he, he kind of realizes like a potential out for this situation. I want to know if that line came from the book or if that, if there's a, a villain like Mr. Potter who puts the idea of killing himself into George's mind. No and no. Okay. <laughs> also, I thought you didn't get a payout if you, you if you. Uh, generally, I think in mod, I don't know if it's always been the case. Uh, fair enough. I don't know if that's always been the case, but yes, generally it, in modern life insurance policies, if it's ruled like a suicide, that it also I think depends on the insurance policy. But generally speaking, yes, like anything that is found to be a suicide, they will not pay. Yeah. Again, I think generally, I'm sure there are exceptions and stuff, but it also may not have always been the case. And also, I think part of the idea is that he may not have been thinking, he may not have known that at the time. Like, even if it right. was the case at the time, yeah. he might, may not have known that. Um, you know, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know how that worked out, but that is, that is true now for the most part. Uh, and then, so getting to the actual final, uh, the part of the movie that, like I said, that everybody remembers. Uh, is he going to go jump off a bridge and then an angel just shows up? So the the book opens with him standing like on the edge of the bridge when the angel Clarence parallel character shows up. That character does not jump into the river. Oh, yeah, because in um, the book or in the film, Clarence jumps in. And then I thought this was very funny. I'm like, well, if it's not that far, because... <laughs> Because Clarence falls in or jumps in, and then George just dives in after him, like, oh, so you, it's not that, like, you could have probably survived, like, you probably. Well, they, I mean, they both do, I feel like realistically, they both might have drowned. Or they both would have drowned, yeah, like. Because it was moving in a pretty, like, it was churning. It was choppy, and it was cold. Yeah. Yeah, very cold And we don't know how deep it is, or how fast the current's moving. Yeah, we don't know anything like that, but it does. So yeah, it, it either seems like one he wouldn't not, he wouldn't have died from jumping in to begin with, unless again the idea is like he was just gonna. Obviously, also there's just to clarify, there's a difference between diving in intentionally, like it, he dives in like with good form in a way, because yeah. if you just fall on water, is very different than landing intentionally in water that you're trying to like you know not uh, hurt yourself landing in. So there's that, but all but even still, I I feel like either he would have just not died had he jumped in on his own or they both would have died yeah. when he jumped in to try to save Clarence. And it's just like the movie is kind of hand waves away. Cause it's not really that important, but I th- thought that was kind of funny. I'm like, Oh, you're just going to jump in. I thought, thought that was the whole thing we didn't want you to do was to jump. <laughs> okay. All right. I guess you'll be fine. Cool. And yeah, again, I, I get the idea is like maybe even if he would have jumped in one, he would have landed bad and hurt himself, but to also he maybe just like let himself drown or something. I don't yeah. know. Just, it's not really important, but I just thought it was kind of funny. So uh, then the big thing, this is the, uh, how the message in, in the film is delivered. He asks Clarence or he doesn't ask Clarence. He says, I wish I'd never been born. And Clarence is like, ah, that's a good idea. Maybe that'll do the trick. And then 
switches the world to a world where uh, where George had never been born. And that's the big alternate reality message delivery system is a universe where George doesn't exist to show him how how bad things could be without him. And I want to know if that's the twist in the book. Yeah, uh, that is the main plot of the book. Uh, Clarence does not accompany him through the town in the book, but that is basically what happens. Gotcha. Uh, and then does George run through town seeing all of the degenerate <laughs> trash, i.e. bars and casinos and uh, risque <laughs> clubs or whatever? Um, he does not. That, that that scene has always cracked me up. He's just like running down the main drag and it's like bar, dancers, it casino, bar, dancers, casino, pawn shop. It is essentially turned into Las Vegas, yeah. basically. Yeah. I'm like, how is this town supporting all of it's these a, all of these very similar businesses? Yeah, there's a lot like, of the you same guys, <laughs> You guys don't need twenty bars. Yeah. Yeah, and I will say that's the most conservative thing about this movie is it's like, <laughs> look at how horrible the world is. There's bars and women. I don't know. Like, it's, yeah, <laughs> this is very funny. That's uh, <laughs> the most accurate cop scene in a movie ever. He walks at this shit cracked me up so much. He walks out. He's like, again, he's freaking out because he doesn't know what's going on. And he gets into town. He's trying to find, he runs into Violet or he, somebody um and he's i don't remember where he is but he's leaving some building and a cop tries the 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 like single cop yeah. that we see throughout the movie tries to stop bert i think is his name tries to stop him <laughs> and he punches him in the face and then runs away and as he's running away the cop pulls out his gun and just starts shooting at him just an unarmed man running away he just starts firing willy-nilly at him with people walking around yeah. everywhere and i was like this is the most accurate cop scene i've ever had a scene in a movie and i want to know if any of that came from the book uh, it does not uh, there's not a cop character in the book at all so dang <laughs> that, that scene got me good so eventually he realizes, oh, I need this is a dis the world's a disaster without me. And he um, <laughs> he he goes back to the bridge uh, to pray and beg for, uh, you know, his life back or whatever. And and God or the angels or whatever, grant him his life back. Uh, and he he goes home and as he's running home, he's looking and seeing all the businesses that are back now that from that he remembers. And he's running down Main Street and it's a very famous uh, shot in the film. And he's like saying hello to all the businesses and i wanted to know if that where he yells merry christmas to all the businesses came from <laughs> the book because it's like the main reason this movie's a christmas movie <laughs> um i would say no he he does run back to like the places and people that he visited while he didn't exist okay and wishes everyone a merry christmas okay, so the, the idea is the idea is there but like that specific scene where he's running down the street yelling merry christmas right, like to all the Main businesses street, yeah. is, is not from the book okay okay fair enough uh and then does mary end up saving the day because in the film uh, it just turns out mary has been <laughs> solving this problem while he's been sulking on a bridge uh she she went around and talked to everybody and they all show up to to drop all the money off and somebody says like mary did this good job mary and she's kind of like <laughs> shuffles off to the side i don't know if is there's a similar like resolution to like the town showing up to like give him money or save the day how does that wrap up in the book uh the missing money plot line is not from the book okay so 
there's not really a resolution at the end other than like him realizing he does want to be alive and he like goes back home and kisses his wife and children and everything's great so the the reason he's suicidal in the book has less to do with like a, a a big catastrophic event yes okay all right. I, do we? We're gonna talk about. It? Gonna okay. Talk okay. About okay. That. Okay. <laughs> well, then my last question, uh, and obviously has to be the question, the last question, is this line from the book: "Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings." That's right. Well, the Jimmy Stewart. That's right. <laughs> I, I can't do Jimmy Stewart, but uh, does that line? Uh, every time an angel ring. Wait. Uh, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Does that come from the book? I thought for sure this would be from the book. I mean, surely. But it's not. It's totally a movie invention. Well, there you go. So, that I mean, yeah, I, I would have assumed that that... And, and, well, I guess that makes sense. I guess I should have known, because I did start by asking if the whole <laughs> Angel Wings, getting yeah. his wings uh, plot line came from the book, and it did not. So it makes sense that the line wouldn't. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's something else. Because that's, yeah, I mean, I it's probably... It's got to be, like, top five or ten like known lines of Mm -hmm. cinema yeah like at least english speaking like western cinema it's pretty crazy all right well i uh those are all the questions i had i didn't have a loss in adaptation because it wasn't wasn't really too confused by anything but uh it's time now to find out what katie thought was better in the book you like to read oh yes i love to read what do you like to read everything um i just have a couple things here my first two are things that were added to the movie that are not in the book um and and i I just want to preface this by saying that obviously the way that we perceive things as an audience changes over time so this is just just a couple things that are a little uncomfortable as a modern audience watching it like the part where he won't give her her robe back is a little uncomfortable it's 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 borders on the edge yeah Yeah. for sure it definitely leans into like uh, okay yeah yeah into gross and then like the part like when they get together and they're talking on the phone together to Sam and then he starts like shaking her and yelling yeah, in her face. It's really weird. Is it's just uncomfortable yeah, well, to watch. That that one's just one of those things where it's like is this how people d- displayed emotion and like or is it like a character choice? I yeah, don't, I don't know. That, I, I had the same thing in that moment where, because the, the specific moment you're talking about, just to clarify for in the listeners if they haven't watched the movie in a while, is, is right when he like realizes he loves her or whatever, and is gonna like that he's he's going to her house, and then he there's they get a phone call from Sam, and they're like listening to the phone to, like on the phone together because Sam wants to talk to him for some reason, yeah, about something. And then they're kind of like their heads are leaning together. And then after he, the phone, the, they hang up the phone. He turns to her and they're like, he he's like resisting. Yeah, I think the idea of what we're supposed to be playing out in the scene is he's like he's like realizing and resisting the fact that he's like in love with her or whatever. Yeah. But the way it plays out physically in the scene is he like awkwardly grabs her. Yeah. And is kind of yelling at her. 
Yeah, he's and like kind of shaking her. He's like two inches away from her face, yelling. Yeah, and that then, he's not gonna. He doesn't want to get married and and settle down and blah blah blah. So I, I like I do think that what we're supposed to be seeing is him resisting. Yeah, this is him like this, resisting this idea yeah. of like domesticity, I guess. Yeah, and and abandoning his his life of adventure or whatever, and real and you know and and that sort of thing. But it does could just come across weird. Like the scene, the other scene with the sweater thing or with the robe. It's like it's it that i could see still playing in a movie today it would be it's it's awkward and it looks like or not awkward it's creepy and it's definitely like without seeing enough of their relationship to know yeah. like the the back and forth they have it it comes across as like bad <laughs> like yeah it comes across as like that don't don't do that um so but but i you can see what the movie's doing there in this scene i was just like is this how humans express feelings and I'm like what it just feels so weird and then the way they ki- and this is the thing with old movies in general they kiss like psychopaths like it, <laughs> in the 40s and 50s i don't know if it was in like in, you know pre-19 like 70s or 60s or so everybody just kisses insanely like and, so aggressive and like just and i don't know if that was a movie only thing or if people actually kissed that way but i don't know couldn't tell but they just like aggressively smash their faces into each other (laughs) in a way that is and i I, part of that may be like a ratings thing maybe like yeah maybe like the actual like making out is like was like obscene or something i don't i don't know but the way that people kiss in old movies has always just been very upsetting to me i'm just like (laughs) what is what is what is this what are you doing uh, and again, maybe it's a ratings thing. Maybe it's just a change in whatever um, <laughs> cultural mores or whatever. But it's just very strange to me. But yeah, that whole scene, I agree. It, it just again, almost less so than like it being problematic or weird. I just felt like it was like, what is who acts like? What is yeah. happening? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an odd scene. It's a little uncomfortable to watch, yeah. as I said. A um, couple other things here in the short story, uh, the Clarence parallel character gives him like a traveling salesman case um, after he grants his wish to have never been born. He's like, here, take this um, and you can like use that as um, a way to talk to people. And and he does like he goes to his parents' house and he uses that as like a way to basically like get inside and talk to them. And then he does the same thing with his wife, um, who's not his wife. And I, I don't think that would have worked in this movie. <laughs> and I, I think that the way it plays out with him just like running around freaking out is better. But I did think it was kind of a charming, interesting little device in the short story. Yeah, no, it sounds, sound, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he like, when he goes to talk to his wife, he's like, oh, here, take this, this brush where we're giving them away for free on Christmas. It's a sample, blah, blah, blah. And then like when he comes back at the end after he's gotten his life back, the brush is still there. Uh, dun, dun, dun. That's a fun little. Yeah, like detail. it's a fun yeah. little like twist like kind a little of. like uh, it's a fun little uh, like a uh, Twilight Zone little yeah. detail. Like, ooh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's fun. Uh, and my last note is about Mary, because uh, the worst fate that <laughs> that the movie can think of for Mary so is good. being a spinster librarian. Yeah. Um, she's an old maid. But in the book, she's married to a mean drunk. And I think that's worse. No, that's way <laughs> that's worse. Way that's, worse. That's, 
her life seems fine in the movie. She's yeah. just like works at a library, and, like seems pretty chill, like it seems fine. And then, but she wears glasses, and, and they made her homely. And she's dowdy. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Uh, uh being married to like an, a, a mean drunk would be a, a much a fate much worse than being a nice librarian, as it turns out. Uh, yeah, that cracked me up. I was just like, oh no. Because he grabs her and he's like, Mary, what happened to you? You're a librarian. No. It's like, okay, great. Uh, all right, let's find out what Katie thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. So right off the bat, the movie changes George's last name from Pratt to Bailey. I think that was a good choice. Yes. Bailey is a far friendlier sounding name. Much friendlier name. name than Pratt. Yeah. And as before recent events <laughs> with certain people named Pratt. But yeah. Um, so his younger brother, Harry, it is established in the book that he did have a younger brother um, who he saved from drowning. Um, and then like oh, when okay. he's never been born, obviously his brother did drown. Yeah. But they say that it happened, like, at a lake in the summer. And I think the, like, sledding and the frozen lake scene is so much more dramatic. Yeah. No, it's great. Yeah, I agree. It, it, moving it to the winter and, and iced, over, iced over lakes are just always much creepier. Yeah. Uh, scarier yeah. than just a regular lake. And every time I watch this movie, I'm like, why were they... Why they should have known not to go on that ice. Kids are stupid. They're very stupid because it wasn't. I think the idea like is also he slid like, further than well, he like they knew further. the ice was thin over there, but they didn't. Yeah. No, but it was already open. Oh yeah, like he didn't like crack it and fall through. There was just like an open part. Yeah, and like you know, yeah, you could not have paid me enough. Kids are very stupid. I liked that the movie built his relationship with Mary over the years it's not a huge focus in the short story i guess so maybe it doesn't really matter but i liked it yeah i liked the the movie gave us a central villain in mr potter mm -hmm. uh, continuing the glorious tradition of anti-capitalist christmas <laughs> films yeah and stories yeah <laughs> i love every single interaction that mary has with her mother <laughs> and like every time we see her mom <laughs> she always looks so upset yeah she really does the fact that they got married um and i love this one particular line uh when he goes over to her house um this is right before the like shaking and yelling scene that we yeah. were just talking about um and he's he's in their like parlor or whatever and her mother yells down from upstairs she's like who's that and she's like what's well, george bailey well, what's he doing here? And Mary's like, he's making violent love to me, mother. <laughs> yeah. And her mom's like, ah. a, a, a nice little um, moment of mother-daughter interaction yeah. there that feels very real. Yeah. I like how this movie is technically like a period piece, kind of. But it's just kind of sitting in that. It feels very natural. Like there's nobody's ever like, oh, no, the depression. Yeah, you're right. Because most you just of, see the effects of yeah, it. Because most of this takes place in like the 20s. Yeah. And then the like 40s the 20s eventually. and 30s. And then we like the, the World yeah. War Two feels a little different because it's like a montage. Yeah. Where they explain everything that happened. But like the the Great Depression and then like even like when we see um 
the the pharmacist's son who died of influenza. That's like 1918. Oh yeah. So that's like yeah, Spanish, that's like the, flu, the Spanish like, flu. Like, yeah. but nobody's like, ah, oh, the Spanish right, flu. Right. Yeah. It's never like we just specifically see the effect of it. Yeah. It's like the opposite of Forrest Gump. <laughs> like inverse force gump where we just kind of see the effects of the world events that are happening and we never point them out or draw attention yeah. to them whereas force gump is like the exact opposite of every possible way that's really funny so i want to talk about the reason that the main character george is feeling suicidal in both of these uh mediums so <laughs> I'll I'll read to you what he says in the short story. So he's talking with uh, the Clarence character. Um, the little man made a queer chuckling sound. Come, come, it can't be that bad. You've got your job at the bank and Mary and the kids. You're healthy, young, and and sick of everything, George cried. I'm stuck here in this mud hole for life doing the same dull work day after day. Other men are leading exciting lives, but I... Well, I'm just a small-town bank clerk that the army didn't even want. I never did anything really useful or interesting, and it looks as if I never will. I might as well just be dead. I might, I might be better dead. Sometimes I wish I were. And we've established that in the movie there was, like, this catastrophic thing. In the movie, he's dealing with all of those same emotions. Yeah. But then there is this big moment where he realized where, where his business is going to go under his he's potentially going to go to jail he thinks you know all, all of these bad things all happen at once and yeah we kind of get like this big inflection point yeah that is all on top of the fact that he feels that way about his life in general right and i just think like and i don't want to imply that you need like a big catastrophic like yeah. legitimate reason to feel suicidal no, because i don't I, that's not, not the how case that works and i all. don't feel like that's true i do think that what the movie does feels more narratively satisfying yeah yeah i mean i would agree with that i think it definitely feels it makes it it it, it just feels like again because all of those elements of what he's going through in the book are there it just then takes it one step further and and adds a a a more pointed hopelessness yeah. to him that um, makes it more obvious for audiences, especially yeah. given the context of, cause it's one thing to depict like the, uh, um, I think you can do a very interesting and, and um, pointed sort of uh, exploration of like suicidal ideation or suicidal suicidality and that sort of thing where you are looking at it from the perspective of like, the mundanity of it and how for lots of people, it is not some big catastrophic event. Mm -hmm. But I think what you're trying to, at least what it seems like to me, what you're trying to say is that it doesn't really feel like the book either has enough time or cares to get into, or is it's not really doing that. It's not doing this yeah, thing of and, like exploring depression. Across, and It comes across as shallow yeah. in the book and it like lacking that depth yeah. that would be there. Yeah. Because, yeah, the book is not a, a deep exploration of depression and yeah. um, <laughs> and general malaise uh, or whatever. It's not it's not going in depth about like the, the point of the book is not like let's explore um, 
the mundanity of depression and how suicide can affect anyone. And it's not like, you know, this, this big event necessarily that, that, um, that leads to, to, to people considering that option or whatever. That's not what the book's about. The book's like, Oh, look, life is worth living. It's very shallow surface level thing. Yes. And so if you're going to still keep it kind of shallow surface level, which the movie kind of does, at least giving this big catastrophic event that transpires makes it feel more, believable maybe believable is not the right term but it just mm-hmm. feels like it works better potentially in the, for the narrative yeah uh, yeah well and i and i think the in the movie it helps too that we do see like basically his entire life and we see him feeling trapped and dissatisfied at yeah. various points yeah for and then sure. we get like this kind of big like flashpoint um and it, and it feels a lot more like, like I said, like narratively satisfying and it feels like it has more depth than what's going on yeah. in the short story. Yeah, for sure. I love that in the alternate universe of George Bailey not existing, Mr. Potter has just gone like full villain and renames the town after himself. Yeah. I love that. Pottersville. <laughs> it's great. Why not? Why not? You own the town. Yeah. Um, So the first big thing in the book that tips George off that things are not right is that he walks past the bank where he works and it's like shuttered and closed down and there's like a for sale sign on it. Um, And in the movie, the first big thing is them going to the bar and like him trying to interact with um, Nick. Nick at the bar and like slowly realizing that something is not right. Yeah. And I, I think that scene in the movie is far more unsettling mm-hmm. than what we get in the book. Okay. Also the book just, or the movie just like offhand mentions that uncle Billy went to the insane asylum. That's dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Super it's like, oh, by, dark. Oh, by the way, he's been in the asylum for years. It's like, Oh, okay. Oh. Oof. Um, and I, I also, you know, I, I really prefer the 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 ending of the film because, like I said, the short story, it's nice. You know, he gains a new appreciation for his life. He goes home, he kisses his wife and kids. Everything's great. Um, but I think the movie really does a lot with the themes about, like, compassion and goodwill. And, you know, we have a protagonist who has spent his entire life treating everyone around him like a human being. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, that literally pays off. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, his it's compassion nice. pays off, yeah. <laughs> no, it is, absolutely. Uh, I would agree with that. All right, we're going to talk about a few things that the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Um, Not very much. Most of it is generally different enough for me to not include um but the the scene where he's standing on the bridge in the dark and like snow is falling and he's looking down at the churning black water that's how the short story opens pretty much the same um and then when he's like i wish i'd never been born and his wish just gets granted Mm -hmm. same same um and then this one surprised me because i had forgotten that this was in the movie uh, he crashes his car into the tree. Yeah. 
and then when he goes back after the wish, yeah, yeah the the car's not there and there's also like not like a gash or any kind of evidence in the tree and the gash in the tree is from the short story well, it was it was like a, an accident that he had gotten into like earlier uh, okay. like months before yeah. and then as he's like walking home from the bridge like before he's fully realized that um it's like the that's yeah. kind of like the first hint then i guess kind yeah of like, kind of like yeah. it, he sees the tree and he like looks and he sees that the gash that he made is not yeah. there and he's like that's weird that's weird yeah huh that's cool all right we have a handful of odds and ends before we get to the final verdict Oh, I love a good opening credits sequence. This movie has it because it's an old movie. Yes. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like a book. Yeah. It literally, literally turning pages on the book. I think we should bring back opening credits sequences. I could not disagree. We are going to have to get divorced. I could not disagree more. I like when they're fun. I hate I opening. like them. There's very few of them that I enjoy. 99% of the time, I get opening credits out of here. No, thank you. Just get, get to the film, please. <laughs> Uh, there's this, uh, in the when he's a little kid. There's this great scene, and and I love this character. She's fantastic throughout the whole film. She only shows she shows up like a handful of times, but um, uh, Violet is the other girl mm-hmm. that uh, has a crush on George throughout the course of the film. And uh, she, her and Mary are in the pharmacy at the beginning, uh, talking to each other, and uh, Violet says to Mary, "She's like I like him about George as he's like working over behind the counter." And Mary turns to her and says, you like every boy. And she's like, what's wrong with that? And I was like, good, good for you, Violet. <laughs> we stand a sex positive queen. Look at you. It's great. Uh, there's a, a something that George's father says about Mr. Potter that I am incorporating into my vocabulary post haste. Um, he says, like, uh, he's a sick old man, sick in his body and sick in his soul if he has one. Yep. <laughs> Yes, sir. Which he does not. <laughs> um, I also love, and this goes back to my my note earlier about the way that this movie handles the his, the historical period that yeah. it's set in. Um, but during the dance scene, it says like class of nineteen twenty eight. So like the whole time that there's this crowd of like dancing young people enjoying themselves, their lives are like about to begin. You just see nineteen twenty eight hanging ominously over their heads. over their heads. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fair. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even put that together, but that's fantastic. I also uh, loved um, to bring this movie into modernity. Um, Mr. Potter, when they're talking after George's dad dies and they're talking about, he's trying to like dissolve the building and loan. Yeah. And he has this whole big long speech about the people in the town that basically just boils down to nobody wants to yeah. work anymore. Yep. Boy, we just keep saying the same things, don't we? The more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. People have been complaining about people being lazy and entitled for literally all of, all of human history. <laughs> it's just <laughs> never not been a thing. Uh, and we, we kind of talked about, it, but it is just this. So much of this movie is just so deeply sad. <laughs> it's yeah. like watching this out of context as like a Christmas movie. If you don't watch it as a Christmas movie, like if you're just watching it as a movie movie, it's just like a deeply sad and tragic film where, uh, 
where he just like gets steamrolled into wasting away his life working at his dad's job that he didn't want to do. And now he has a good life. And again, that ends up being the point is like he has a nice life that he enjoys. But it's just like at every turn, you're just watching his dreams get crushed over and over again. And he just kind of lets it happen. And I was like, if you weren't if you wouldn't watch this in the context of watching a Christmas movie, the first hour and 40 minutes of this is just like a deeply depressing film other than a few (laughs) fun scenes here and there, all of which have nothing to do with Christmas. I just, I can't, it's one of those movies as we were sitting here watching this, I'm like imagining sitting around watching this at a Christmas party or like, like having it on and like watching. I'm just like, this is, or like imagine like going to the theater in 1945 like oh we're going to go see this christmas movie yeah. and then you're and like then it's sitting like an there hour like, and a half like where is the what, christmas what is it when does it become christmas and when do we stop watching jimmy stewart be sad i don't yeah. understand yeah. no but i i i totally agree with you like about george he just gets roped into the grind basically yeah um i found a lot to identify with (laughs) um and then especially too like kind of like the knife twist is that he then has to watch his younger brother yeah get all of these things that he wanted to go to college yeah he he gets gets to to college go to the war yeah and mm, which was a thing that people wanted to do a thing that people wanted to do but that also means that he gets to like get out of the town and travel that's true yeah yeah and he gets like a good job in a different city yeah i was like is this a millennial story (laughs) yes (laughs) people haven't changed we're always the same people this is people forget that we're the same that we've always been yeah yeah there's i gotta talk about this one little scene It, it cracked me up so much there's a scene where um he he's george is going i think he i don't remember the exact context but he he basically bumps into violet out on the street and he's like wants to take her on a date he's like oh let's go on a date or whatever yeah and then he's like explaining this date that what he wants to do and they're like standing in the middle of the main of main street like in the meat like at the the grass median or whatever in the middle of main street. And he's like explaining, like, I want to go to the field and dance with our shoes off and blah, blah, blah. Like it's like romantic, you know, yeah. like romanticist stuff or whatever. And she's just kind of looking at him like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what is your deal? And I love, it's on a close above him for this whole conversation. And then at the end, she kind of like, rebuffs him she's like i'm good and then it pulls back to a wide shot and there is an entire crowd of people who all just start laughing at him and i'm like what wait wait, wait. (laughs) i started laughing i it got me so good because you don't see the crowd gather yeah it's a very tight shot on the two of them yeah and then it just pulls to this wide and there's like 30 people crowd. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you all crowded around these random people listening to their convert? What is happening? And I guess he's being a little loud, but not like, like, because he's being very animated, but it's just, it was such a strange scene. I was like, where did those people come from? And why are they just listening to your conversation? It's very strange, but it was very funny. Um, I don't know what causes this or what it's called. But I love the soft, glowy look that some black and white films have. Yeah. Not all of them have it. Some of them look almost like a moving, like, like newspaper photograph. Yeah. But this one in particular has, like, a very, like, it's very soft and, like, diffused and glowy looking. And I love that. Uh, It's kind of, I think the term might be bloom. Um. 
which is a, a, a term with there's certain basically for the the way light diffuses i believe i believe bloom would be the term that you're kind of what you're describing there and i assume it has a lot to do with like different film stocks and grades mm-hmm. and how it was shot and stuff like that i don't know nearly anything about um that sort of deeply technical <laughs> like <laughs> uh physical film stuff i've never shot a movie on physical film. I've only ever taken pictures with physical film. So I, I, I'm hardly uh, knowledgeable on like physical film medium, but yeah, um, I believe that what you're talking about there is called bloom and it, it is, uh, yeah, uh, there's also different ways I'm sure with how, how the film is processed and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that, which can result in more or less bloom and that kind of thing. But it definitely gives a, a, a certain feel and look to, to older films and stuff like that. Yeah. Another thing that I love in this movie is Mr. Potter's ornate wheelchair throne. Yes. <laughs> I love straight it up so has much. A, a throne wheelchair. <laughs> Just like you would. <laughs> you would. There's this great scene, and I after uh George loses is losing everything, they get a call from the um They're so their daughter's sick. Their daughter's sick. Because and, she came home with her coat unbuttoned. Yeah. Um, and then the teacher calls to check on to her. To check on her. And George grabs the phone and starts berating this teacher for yeah. not... For not, like, making sure her coat was done or up something, or yeah. something. He's having a temper tantrum. He's, yeah, he's freaking out because, again, his his life is crumbling. It's under, yeah. it's it's somewhat understandable that he's just, like, taking this out willy-nilly because, again, he thinks he's going to jail and his, his job or his whole career is ruined and blah, 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 and he's financially ruined, like... Things are about as bad as could be, so I, you know it's a little bit understandable. But he he is a jerk, and he takes it out on this teacher, um, and then he starts yelling. At, the husband gets on the phone. He starts yelling at him, and then later he uh, right before he goes to the bridge, he ends up at a at, at Martini's bar and he's drinking. And there's a guy sitting at the bar next to him, and it turns out to be the husband of the school teacher. And he he hears the the bartender say that that it's George Bailey. And he goes, what was your name? And he's like, George Bailey. And he stands up and just punches him in the face. And I was like, you know what? That guy, fair enough. That guy's kind of <laughs> crushed it. I like I, he, everything he does in that scene is kind of perfect. And he's just like, I was like, yeah, man, no, that, yep. I don't know if the movie is supposed for us to dislike that guy or like that guy. Cause I just liked him. He gets up, he punches George once in the face <laughs> And he's like, your kids are stupid and teachers aren't paid enough. And then as he's leaving, he goes, they're like, they're like throwing him out of the bar. He's like, no, I want to pay for my drink. And they're like, get out. He's like, all right. And he just leaves. And I was like, I don't know if you could have handled that any better as that guy. (laughs) He gets one punch in, says his piece, which is a great take. And then leaves, but, but wants to still pay for his drink that he didn't get to pay for yet. That guy's amazing. I know. We had a very similar note here. I was like, honestly, Good on that guy yeah. for standing up for his wife, a public school teacher. Yeah. Good for him. I love and I love my favorite. He's just like, your kids are fucking stupid. <laughs> and my wife isn't paid enough. It's great. I love it. Oh, it was so good. Oh, so funny. There's this. Uh, so later after the wish scene happens, he, there's this great um, scene where he's going through the house that Mary bought. But it is once again now decrepit and falling apart because they never got married and they never bought the house and fixed it up. And as he's going through it, the cops pull up and they're shining a spotlight in 
on him. And so this whole scene, and in particular, the moment where he comes back out of the house and Bert and Ernie, <laughs> the police are waiting <laughs> for him. Uh, and the way it's lit is just so striking. And it's just like as he like he digs through the rubble of <laughs> of his life that could be. And it's just backlit so dramatically where the light is like kind of like uh, enveloping their faces. But they're all completely in silhouette. So you can't see them. It's just so striking and cool. And I thought it was just such a um, such a well lit scene. And then also when he runs out of that out of the house or no, after he goes later, he then leaves and he goes to talk to his mom. Yeah, because he, and he go, he ends up at his mom's house and she doesn't recognize him either. Um, and he starts freaking out and he runs out for, from his mom's house. And he's like he's like he's fully freaking out now because his mom didn't recognize him. And he turns and he he's slowly turning and it's a super tight close up on his face. But he turns and he looks straight into the camera for a second. And you're like, oh, my God. And it's such a great, effective little moment um, to have somebody spike the camera like that. In in that moment, I thought it was so good and just such a brilliant little um, detail. We had this other thought as we were watching the movie <laughs> that I could not stop cracking up about, which is that if this movie had really wanted to commit, <laughs> because so it's 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 established that because he's never been born, he wasn't able to save his brother from drowning. Mm -hmm. So his brother drowned when he was a little uh, in the in the in the lake. Um, and so obviously his brother never grew up and went off to be uh, in World War Two, where he was a Medal of Honor recipient. And I just we both were laughing at the idea <laughs> of if if this had turned into the man in the high castle. And when he comes back after making that wish, he's responsible for like Germany having won World War Two. <laughs> and he gets back into town and there's just like. Nazi shit everywhere <laughs> and just the Third Reich has come to America and it's just like oh because he didn't save his brother and his brother didn't save that aircraft carrier or whatever in the war and so that was the thing that swung and obviously it was silly but like and, I, and that was the thing that swung the whole war effort uh, was his brother being there to shoot down the or, well actually his brother would have been not in the German front it would have been in Japan because he shot down a kamikaze bomber whatever point being maybe it's whatever same thing <laughs> The, the the axis had won because George uh, Bailey never existed, and so we are now existing in an America in a 1945 America that is um, controlled by axis powers. Would have been truly would've wild, been, yeah, truly wild. Um, we Direction. We would have needed more time to address that. I yeah, think. Yeah. I get why they didn't do it, but yeah. it would have been very <laughs> funny. And not fun. I don't know. It just would have been really interesting. It would have been very unexpected. Yes, it really would have been. <laughs> Another little thing that I thought was funny was that I love how alternate universe Mary, when he yells, that's my wife, she just immediately swoons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just like passes out. Yeah. <gasps> I also, I will say my last note, I thought it was a little strange that I guess, and the movie just doesn't care, it's fine, but like, the whole thing was like, well, you're missing $8,000, so that's going to be like, oh, you're embezzling the money, so like, the bookkeeping's off, you've been doing something with that money, but then the way this is solved in the movie is a bunch of people just give them, you know, more than $8,000 or yeah. whatever, but the person, the, the bank investigator guy was there at the thing where everybody gives him the money. So you would think he would then have real, like they know at this point that the money was missing and that this is 
covering the money that was missing or or because the bank inspector shows up at the end and even gives him some money yeah and so i was like how because i don't think the idea would be that okay the money's missing if you can cover that money before the bank inspector realizes obviously obviously you can you can probably make it work or whatever You, you can cover the books to make it look like it's okay but if he knows in some capacity or or is he what does the bank inspector think is happening during this scene? I guess is my question. Because it, to me, it doesn't seem like, and maybe it was back in the day, like, oh, the money went missing. And uh, now we have enough to cover it. And so it just doesn't matter. None of the rest uh, of yeah, it matters. Maybe, I I like it, maybe it doesn't as long as your books are balanced. I have no idea. Yeah. No, and I get that. But it's just, <laughs> I think that also lays bare part of the problem I had with it to begin with is that, like, he assumes they're going to go to jail over this. And I'm like, I don't know if that is how that would work. And I, and maybe that's part of it is him like catastrophizing or whatever. And it's not yeah. actually the case that he'd likely go to jail over this, but it just felt like the whole thing just felt kind of clumsily wrapped up in a way. It was just like, I don't know if this really smooths things over as well as the movie wants us to think it does. Again, it works for thematically what we're going for. Right. He, he, he's helped people, uh, and now and, they help him. And now they help him. Great. Who cares? Like the details. I get it. It's fine. I just thought I was a little bit, especially having the bank inspector be there. I was like, <laughs> I don't know if that. Okay, whatever. Sure. Fine. <laughs> also, while we're on the subject of that, I just want to say how good of a friend his friend Sam is. Yeah, right. Who like is like no explanation needed i'll wire you Here's up to twenty five thousand dollars yeah especially because like he's the ultimate uh like anti-incel like his his whole arc he's been like jealous that, that yeah. george was getting with mary and then at the end he's like nah screw it here you go you need some money i'm cool with it. like he's he's become a very successful businessman and like they're uh he totally doesn't even care that that george is with mary he's like over it it's fine which i thought was nice yeah. that's good good for sam Everybody needs a Sam. That's true. Before we uh, get to the final verdict, we wanted to remind you, you can do us a giant favor by heading over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Goodreads, any of our social media platforms. Go follow us. Give us a like uh, and interact. Let us know what you thought about uh, It's a Wonderful Life. We'd love to hear about it and and what you had to say. Also, you could do us a giant favor. We don't say this enough. But uh, if you want to go to like iTunes or it's not even called iTunes anymore, Apple Music or Apple Podcasts or whatever, uh, or anywhere where you can leave a review for our show, go do it. Give us a five star review. Uh, It's very helpful and helps uh, get us recommended to more people who are trying to find new podcasts. Um, So, yeah, do that for us. And then finally, the last thing you can do to support us, which is, you know, the best thing for us, at least specifically, is head over to Patreon.com slash this film is lit and uh, give us a couple bucks a month for some bonus content. We at the five dollar and up level, you get access to a, a bonus episode every month and the entire back catalog of bonus episodes. This month, we're talking about the Santa Claus. That episode should be out right before Christmas, Christmas mm-hmm. weekend. Uh, last month, we talked about Labyrinth. We got all kinds of stuff. We talked about just anything we want, uh, not movies that are not based on books primarily for the most part because um, we're saving the, <laughs> the other ones for the yeah. podcast. <laughs> uh, so it's generally stuff that is not based on books. Um, but yeah, go check out patreon.com slash this film is lit. Katie, it's time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict the Greatest Gift by Philip Van Doren Stern is a cute short story 
Uh, if you have a family tradition of like reading Twas the Night Before Christmas and that kind of thing aloud on Christmas Eve, you could just add this one to the repertoire. Uh, it's perfect for something like that. Uh, however, it's a short story that's well under 20 pages and it does end up feeling a little lightweight. Characters are kind of one-dimensional, there's a lot about the plot that you're just expected to jump on board with, and there's really only one theme, uh, that life is a gift and you should cherish it. And again, it's a short story, all of that stuff is fine and understandable, but it becomes very noticeable when you start comparing it to a much meatier version of the same story. It's a Wonderful Life came to the table with a much more fleshed out world and characters, especially its protagonist, George. It provides an interesting backstory to explain uh, how the fantastical events of the last quarter of the film came to pass, and it deftly incorporates additional themes that also fit with it being a Christmas movie, namely goodwill and compassion towards your fellow humans, as well as a healthy dollop of anti-capitalism and a middle finger to rich assholes. It's like if A Christmas Carol was about the entire community coming together to support Bob Cratchit instead of Scrooge learning the error of his ways. And in a way, I do feel that that's a more crucial message in the year of our Lord 2022. Take care of each other, because nobody's sending out ghosts to visit Jeff Bezos. And so for those reasons, I'm giving this one to the movie. Merry Christmas, you old building and loan. Fantastic. Couldn't agree more. Katie, what's next? Well, we will be taking our customary week off after Christmas, so there will not be an episode out on Wednesday, December 28th. However, keep an eye on our social medias because we will be running polls during that week because our first episode of 2023 will be a listener's choice. Now, we will be covering a literary heavy hitter that we somehow haven't gotten to yet, Dame Agatha Christie. Uh, the episode will be about murder on the Orient Express with a choice between the 1974 and 2017 film adaptations. Yes. So go, uh, like you said, go follow us on Facebook and all those Twitter, Instagram, all those places. So you can vote and let us know which one you would rather hear us talk about because I don't have a preference. I, I don't either. But I am excited to watch so. it because I actually don't. I've never seen any adaptation of murder on the orient, orient express yeah. or i've never read it either i know nothing about the story other than uh, Her, uh hercule the, poirot right yeah is the i think so detective or um, whatever and they're on a train yeah I, they're on a train and there's a bunch of people who one of them may be the murderer or something like that it's all <laughs> literally all i know about um, this and movie. we love a good murder mystery yes so uh that should be a good episode awesome um so let us know which movie you want us to watch and talk about there you go so yeah, come back in two weeks' time for a prequel episode, and in one week's time, come back and uh, vote. Uh, no, don't come here, but come to you know social media and vote for what you want us to cover. And in two weeks' time, uh, we're talking about uh, we'll, we'll do some uh, previewing of Murder on the Orient Express, and we'll we'll have see what people had to say about It's a Wonderful Life. Until that time, guys, gals, on binary pals, and everybody else, keep reading books, keep watching movies, and, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome, and have a merry Christmas and a happy holidays. However you celebrate or if you don't that's fine too <laughs> <laughs>